Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the new Edge of Sports podcast brought to you by The Nation. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, it's Colin Kaepernick versus Donald Trump and the collusion of NFL owners. And we speak to the captain of the 1980 Winter Olympic United States national team that defeated the USSR in the famous Miracle on Ice game in which he scored the game-winning goal, Mike Aruzioni. We're talking to the legendary Aruzioni about the strike of U.S. women's hockey and why he has chosen to back the women's team over U.S. hockey. We also talked to NFL national lead writer at Bleacher Report and the co-author of the Football Outsiders Almanac, Mike Tannier, to break down everything Colin Kaepernick versus Donald Trump. Also, strike, strike, strike. Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. I got some choice words about why this year's NCAA tournament is ripe for a strike and why that could remake the entire damn landscape of college sports. We also got a Just Stand Up Award, some serious Just Sit Your Ass Down, and yes, some extra spicy Kaepernick watch. But first, on the line, we have the legend... Mike Arruzioni, who said recently, I want to throw my support behind these girls. Hockey players should stick together with hockey players. We care about women's programs. We care about women's hockey. And we care about women's rights. So, Mike Arruzioni, you made a point to speak out and offer support for the U.S. women's hockey team. Why did you take that step? Well, I think obviously as hockey players, uh, we're a big family. And um, you, you like to support any of our hockey players when they have issues that they feel they're um, being treated unfairly or uh, feel like um, they, they need support from more people. You know, to me, it was pretty simple. Yeah. I did want to ask you about what you would like to see U.S. hockey do. What would you like to see the steps for U.S. hockey to take to try to, to end this conflict and push forward and get the women in the, in the world championships? I was told, and I haven't uh, heard anything exactly, but I was told that the, the progress was being made at their meetings the other day. Uh, I'm not sitting in on them. I don't know all the issues. Uh, but to me, again, the bottom line why I got involved was, you know, clearly for these women to make this take, take this kind of stance, the boycott, Possibly the you know the, the second biggest event uh, in women's hockey. Uh, they must feel really strongly about their, their issues, and mm. I'm just hoping that USA Hockey 
uh, and the women can come together. I mean, nobody wins in a situation like this. And uh, I'm hoping you know, that they, they're, they're sensible and they can sit down and, and the women can, you know, have the issues that they want to taken care of uh, by, by USA Hockey. And USA Hockey, in the other hand, can bend a little and, and, and help the women uh, achieve what they want to achieve. Now, now, you've been around this world for, gosh, 40 years at this point. Um, how has the women's game evolved in the time that you've been part of U.S. hockey? Oh, it's uh, unbelievable how much it's involved. It's incredible. Uh, so many women are playing, and, and, you know, not just in the Boston area or the Minnesota area, um, California, Arizona, Florida. It's incredible, the growth. I think the number was about 13% or 14% growth in just, I think, just in Arizona last year. Wow. So, you know, it, it continues to grow. You look at the, the colleges that play, I think almost every men's team that uh, is a Division One school has a women's program as well. Uh, high school teams here in Massachusetts. Uh, uh, you know, I live in a small little town, and, and we've got a great women's program. So uh, it just continues to grow. We, we see it continuing to grow. What about the quality of play? How have you seen that improve over the last oh. four decades? <laughs> well, like anything else, the depth of the players. You know, I remember years ago when I, I skated with the team that Kenny Granado played on um, that, that won the first Olympics gold, gold medal in, in uh, Nagano. Uh, and that team was awfully talented. But I think today's girls are, are, are better. They're deeper. There's more of a pool to choose from. And uh, the skill level, I think, like in hockey in general, I think, uh, you know, NHL players today uh, are more skilled than NHL players 20 years ago. And I, I think that's the same with the women's game. There's more and more women playing the game, so the depth chart increases. You've been a, a terrific voice, but also a lonely voice in terms of male hockey icons speaking out for the women's team. Would you like to see... Uh, more men from the world of hockey speak out in support of the women right now? Well, I think that's obviously their opinion. I know there was a bunch of players for the Washington Capitals that came forward and supported yep. the women. Um, I'm not sure you know, how many men have been interviewed or talked to, uh, and, and I'm sure the American you know, American men hockey players, uh, if, if we're asked and, and somebody came to them for an opinion, and like I said, I don't know if they have or haven't, uh, I would think that they would support the women and support... Uh, you know their right to uh, to get a, you know better better uh, facilities, better amenities, uh, and, and I'm not even saying a, a pay a pay scale, but just uh, it seems they don't have uh, you know the things that the the men have, especially in the national development area. I'm curious, Mike, like what what's foundational for you in terms of speaking out? I mean, you mentioned Billie Jean King in one of the interviews. You've mentioned skating with Cami Granado. Have there been a set of experiences for you that had you look at this issue and say, I'm going to stand with these women? Uh, not, not necessarily, no. You know, like I said, I, I don't know all the situations. I've had a, a couple of phone calls into Megan Duggan. Uh, I've known Megan a long time, so curious uh, you know, what, what, what her take is as far as what, what they're asking for and what they're you know, trying to get and be given. Uh, but I think... Uh, you know, like I said, for me, it was just a, a, a standard uh, supporting them in their cause based on if they're willing to give up something like this, uh, not play in the world championships. There's clearly something there that, that is affecting what they're trying to do. And I, I know years ago, I think Cami Granado and the women's team tried to come to the table and sit down with USA Hockey to try to, you know, have a better, better opportunities, or, and that never really came to fruition. So maybe this is something that's been 
you know, boiling over for, for a little while. And with the growth of women's hockey, now you have more voices. If it does come to the point that they do sit out, boycott, strike, and don't play in the world championships, does this hurt women's hockey or could it help it possibly long-term by really putting a mark in the sand about how women are going to fight to develop the sport? I think the issue would be not so much that is, is if the women don't go, or uh, this particular team doesn't go, are there women out there that would go? Mm. Uh, if the women do not go in any area, any case, any age, then, um, you know, that's really drawing a line in the sand. I think that would be a bigger issue. But if these girls and the top players don't go and there are a bunch of other women out there that would would, would play in their place, then I think that would hurt the women uh, in what they're trying to do. Okay, that, that would be terrible. Well, we're going to have Hillary Knight on the show next week. Uh, to follow up on this. Hopefully by then we'll have a conclusion of a real advance in in U.S. women's hockey, which I really do think is on the table right now. Uh, The legend, Mike Ruzioni, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, and like I said, by then I hope uh, everything's uh, put together and the women are out practicing and getting ready to to defend uh, their championship and and also tell Hillary I said hello. (laughs) I certainly will. Thank you so much, sir. All right, guys. Thank you. Wow, that was Mike Ruzioni, the legend, the captain of the most storied U.S. men's hockey team ever. And now a quick word about The Nation magazine, which produces this podcast. Definitely check out the issue this week. There's an amazing piece about anti-immigrant politics and how they damage the economy. This is some seriously necessary myth-busting. If you don't already subscribe, go to the nation at thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, the NFL national lead writer at Bleacher Report, co-author of the Football Outsiders Almanac, Mike Tannier, breaking down all things Colin Kaepernick. Based upon what you hear, is there a case to be made that Colin Kaepernick isn't being signed because of his politics? Oh, there's absolutely a case to be made for that. Uh, And it goes back to not just what I heard from several general managers I spoke to, but what Michael Freeman heard when he uh, really dug deep into the situation. And, you know, there, there are some teams who have legitimate football reasons for not wanting to sign Colin Kaepernick. And there are some who are just this side of being on the record of saying either they are they fear a distraction, they fear like a presidential level distraction, and I think we already saw a case of that happening. Uh, ironically, after Freeman's article went out, or they just have a political beef with Colin Kaepernick due to his activism, specifically due to him uh, kneeling during the uh, national anthem. I have my own theory. I know you're not a lawyer. Um, I spoke to a lawyer yesterday, and I have a theory that. Trump saying what he said might actually increase the chance of Kaepernick being signed because it kind of opens up the NFL for one hell of a collusion suit for what's called what (laughs) tortious interference. Um, Do you think there's a possibility that that could play into this at all, that Trump speaking out about it actually puts pressure on the NFL to not look like they're being bullied by this guy? Well, see, it's the NFL and it's 32 individual teams. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure what the mechanism there. Does somebody, you know, draw the short straw and say you're the team that does it? Um, I think it's more likely that a team that doesn't have a political beef and needs a quarterback looks at what Donald Trump said and say, oh, if everything is going to be a Trump tweet, nothing is, 
And if we're going to, you know, be on pins and needles because he's going to say stuff like this, he's going to say it anyway. He's going to say it as a result of a Bleach Report article or whatever. Let's do this. And that would take a team who's uh, who might be in a blue state, a team that might have a blue leaning ownership group and might need a quarterback at the same time to say, well, we're just going to take this guy and, and that's what it's going to be. And we're not going to worry about that. I think the collusion is way down the road for a couple of reasons. One, because everyone will be waiting for the other one to move. And I know these owners well enough to think they think they can get away with anything in this world and they're not going to fear a collusion suit and move because of that. Right. That's a very good point that they don't actually live in fear of those things, given the number of players (laughs) who've, you know, for a host of reasons from Eric Winston to Ray Rice, who find themselves on the outside looking in just because they've never feared that suit. No, and it's tricky to prove. And, you know, if, if people went to the wall and tried to prove it, they would look at out-of-work out of quarterbacks that have similar uh, resumes to Colin Kaepernick. And, you know, right now, Jay Cutler is an out-of-work uh, uh, quarterback with a vaguely similar resume to Colin Kaepernick's. And you can look around and find others. Vince Young you could use. And you can throw in a hat there that if you're going to go out there and try to go through some sort of trial situation, it's going to be a difficult road, probably the wrong road to follow. Another thing that happens is uh, the players or individuals that might pursue that generally find it's not you know, going fighting that battle is not going to be worth it in the long run that they're better off going off and going in another direction with their lives and trying to do something else you know th- th- there are a lot of executives general managers speaking off the record to a lot of NFL uh, reporters very interesting that they're speaking anonymously but they're saying <laughs> that no it's not as politics it's the combination of distraction and the tape that we're seeing on Kaepernick he's just not good enough let's start with the distraction aspect of it breaking it down for us I mean given what we know about Kaepernick as a teammate given the 49ers and his coaches you know all having these great things to say about him given Jim Harbaugh just coming out of nowhere unsolicited saying complimentary things about Kaepernick play it out for me how much of a distraction do you think it really would be to have Kaepernick in a locker room especially since he has said he's not going to be kneeling during the anthem I think it would be mild to moderate with the caveat that we don't know what the future brings with American politics and the intervention of, uh, of certain people from on high there. Uh, you know, the, the distraction thing isn't necessarily a teammate versus teammate thing. And I think that there would be a little bit of that, despite the fact that Colin Kaepernick was very well respected overall in the 49ers locker room. You can't take, take 53 people and say all 53 agree, but you can't say that about possibly even Tom Brady or whatever. Uh, the distraction comes from outside as well. And it comes down to, you know, public relations departments uh, worrying about uh, who's going to get interviews when. It comes down to interview sessions where uh, we all run into the locker room and we're asking backup wide receivers about Colin Kaepernick instead of asking them about themselves or about the starting quarterback. And those things tend to rattle around like a, like a quarter in a can for a lot of these organizations. Then the next level that comes on top of that, and again, I'm, I'm speaking again as somebody who I think I support Colin Kaepernick, I support his, his, his constitutional rights, I support his charity work, I think he needs a job in the NFL. Uh, the reality of Donald Trump announcing at rallies every week that this team signed Colin Kaepernick and he's getting these people to boo, we don't know what that would have on season ticket sales. We don't know what kind of boycotts, we don't know what could, could happen outside of a outside of a, 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 a team during, during uh, tailgate parties and things like that, when that kind of thing happens. That does uh, you know, unnerve some organizations at different levels, whether it's at the legal level, the PR level, general management level, down to the coaching level, where the coach says, I don't want to hear my starting quarterback mad that people are asking him questions about his backup, and this is turning into a thing. It's not right, but it's how the NFL 
Austin operates, and there have been other players who have been put in that position in the past. Mike, I, I respect you a lot politically, like just for, for the principles that, mm. that you have. And I respect you a lot for your football acumen, having read you for so long. Here's a question that I have. I'm a much less developed football mind. You hear a lot of folks saying on social media, I'm sure you've seen it, that surely Colin Kaepernick compares to the Josh McCowns and the Mike Glennons and uh, Matt Barkley and some of the signings that we've seen. But is there a case to be made what Jim Harbaugh said? that this guy might actually be a diamond in the rough at this point of his career. At age 29, coming off a deceptively really good season for a bad team, his highest quarterback rating since 2012, 16 touchdowns, four picks, highest yards per carry of anybody with at least 50 carries in the NFL. I mean, is there a case to be made that not just that he's better than the worst, but that he might actually have some star power left? Yes, both of those cases can very well be made. He has value coming in as sort of the backup. I'll put Josh McCown in a different situation since he's kind of supposed to be like the coach guy. Like that's almost a different thing. But the backup uh, who can come in and, and give you more certainly than Matt Barkley can or the, or the possible maybe reclamation starter that they think Mike Lennon is, that he's definitely those things. There's still that other guy there. Now, I, I think it's, it's more of a long shot. You know, I can't come up with off the top of my head cases in history where somebody, you know, rose and fell and rose back again. I guess Kurt Warner could be an example of that, although that's kind of a, a strange comp for a variety of ways. Can we say that about like a Rich Gannon? Does he qualify? Maybe. Yeah, yeah to a degree. Rich Gannon didn't have the high high earlier, right. but there are a lot of there are a lot of guys who in their 30s go on and have this long second career as a different kinds of journeyman quarterbacks or, or wind up being on playoff teams like uh, Gannon did or, Je- or Jeff Hostetler did or, or some of the other guys like that. Um, you know, so that is a very good possibility. And when you put those two things together, could be your backup, could be somebody you could groom into a starter. Uh, then to say, well, there's 32 starting and 32 backup jobs and he's not eligible for one of them just becomes ludicrous unless you're, you're turning in and, and leaning very heavily into, we are terrified of this distraction, even though, you know, domestic violence and things like that, we always seem to find a way to make exceptions for those guys, or we flat out have a political beef and a grudge to settle. I was uh, talking with someone earlier today about what the repercussions would be in terms of player activism if Colin Kaepernick uh, doesn't get signed, because it certainly would be read as a shot across the bow or even mm-hmm. a headshot against the idea that speaking out is somehow safe as an NFL player. But I I wanted to ask you this, because like I said, you're you're somebody who reads the political moment, not just the football tea leaves. This feels like a different (laughs) moment to me than, say, the 90s in the NBA, where Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf got booted from the league, and you know it it really did lead to an era of silence in the league. We know that there are dozens of NFL players who communicate over text message, who talk about activism and what they can do. If Kaepernick didn't find a place, do you see that leading to a chilling effect or do you see him becoming a martyr in effect for players who want to speak out? I could see either of those things happening. And again, all of our past our past prologue or whatever in the Trump era – goes out the window. Yeah, past is not prologue anymore. Yeah, past is no longer prologue. Everything is out the door right now. So you could have this firebrand situation where it's like free Colin or it could be like everyone goes on ice because they're just terrified for their jobs. And I kind of think it's going to be an in-between 
state, so to speak. Like you talked about how there's other activist players. There's a RISE organization uh, that has a lot of the more vocal activist players, but they're within an organizational framework. Um, you know, they're they, on the field protests are, are more minimal than what they do off the field and, and, and things like that. I think this will set that back because it is a shot across the bow that causes a terror among that second tier type of player who says, I'm eager to speak out. I'm eager to speak out. I just saw that happen. I'm just afraid for my job now. I'm not going to do anything out of line, but those guys are going to take a step back. And then, you know, because there is a, uh, uh, an organization and a mobilization in place to try and get guys to speak out, they'll be able to slowly recruit and regain their footing and maybe come back stronger than ever. That's what I would guess happened. But that, I think that that's a parallel to what's happening in every organization around, around society that tries to be political and leans in the progressive direction. Everybody's like scattering and figuring out when and how to regroup to a degree. And I, and I think you're going to see the same thing in all these in NFL activism. Wow. And, and thank you so much for your time. One last question for you here. I, I mean, I've had people point out to me, I've been waging some Twitter fights over this and <laughs> like some pretty intense ones. And one, one of the more salient points that people have made that I have to give a little bit on is people have said, look, you're, you're jumping the gun maybe a little bit on the outrage. Cutler hasn't been signed. Revis hasn't been signed. There are a lot of big names out there. You know, People are waiting to see what happens to Tony Romo. There's just a lot to get settled before we ring the gong. So I ask you, Mike, um, do you think Kaepernick gets signed? And what do you think of that view? My gut tells me that in normal circumstances, he probably would have been signed after the draft. The teams would have gotten the quarterbacks rolled through in the draft, and they would have looked at him and they said, okay, now we have the place here, and this is where he fits in our organization. That's the past. Here's what the present holds. You know, I, I wrote a, a relatively even-handed Colin Kaepernick article. Uh, Mike Freeman wrote a couple of even-handed Colin Kaepernick articles, and one of them flat out said, teams are afraid that Donald Trump will tweet about them. He says that, and literally hours later, Donald Trump at a rally talks about it and denounces Colin Kaepernick. This is bizarro world. This is upside-down world where what you say will happen happens before it happens. And under this environment, I, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but, to, but to, to take events like that and say, oh, this is just politics as usual. It's just a controversy. It'll blow over. I think that's incredibly naive. And to say that this is just going to be another football situation is short-sighted. And frankly, it, it, it's not reading what we've seen in the last you know, eight weeks and really in the last six months in American society as well as what's going on in the NFL. So we're looking at a situation where uh, if there's further investigation into whether or not the president of the United States committed treason, is impeached from office, then <laughs> a backup quarterback finds a job. <laughs> Yeah, it all ties together. And then, you know, and, and so crazy like when you say it out loud. And people like us, when we write something, it's from our lips to not God's ears, but Trump's ears in that, you know, we can get pulled into this maelstrom as well. You know, if, if it can happen to Mike, you know, my, my article's next to his. and you're, you're next to me on Twitter. We can all get swept up to it. Next thing you know, we're the ones who are getting talked about at these rallies. And we don't know who's at these rallies and who's, you know, waiting to hear these messages. So, you know, it goes it, it goes all the way down the line. You talk about a chilling effect for, for football people. You have a chilling effect for us as we talk about those football people as well. That's what makes it so hard to predict six weeks, six months in the future. I don't know how I'm going to feel, so I can't tell you how the NFL team is going to feel. Wow. Mike, Daniel, thank you so <laughs> much. Um, crazy times in which we live. Thank you uh, for being outspoken. Thank you for speaking out. And really do appreciate the time. 
No, it's a pleasure. Take care. Thanks a lot for having me on, Dave. It's great to talk to you. And now we have some choice words about why this Final Four is ripe for a strike. And these choice words, I just want to tell folks, were co-conceived with my friend Atan Thomas, former NBA player. So in 2016, ESPN college basketball broadcaster and longtime NCAA critic Jay Billis dropped a bomb on a March Madness telecast when he said, I think it's almost offensive for those that are paid and making millions to tell those that are unpaid and the engine generating millions that they are blessed. It's equally laughable and kind of sad because a boycott of the Final Four has been discussed among players, and that is not some crazy notion. That's a fact. It's a fact that's been confirmed by multiple people. End quote. Look, for people who believe that the NCAA is a profit-gobbling cartel that keeps players in a position of indentured servitude, this statement represented a glimmer of hope about the possibility of change. One year later, seeing the women of USA Hockey strike before their own world championships is a bracing reminder of the power that athletes can have when they flex their economic might. As for college basketball, the NCAA is in a precarious position. It gets 81% of its operating budget from March Madness. If the top three players on each Final Four team took off their high tops, the system would be brought to its knees. Anyone who doubts the economic power of young athletes need only look back to 2015 when Mizzou's football team refused to play in protest of the school administration's inaction in the face of on-campus racism. The university faced a $1 million fine, and the school president was gone within a week. NCAA athletes have incredible social and economic power, which is why their rights are policed so ferociously by an army of high-end attorneys and lobbyists. But the more the NCAA's legal muscle tries to smack down dissidents, the more it reveals just how wrong the system is. One common argument against paying these athletes is that the cost of their tuition and room and board is already covered. But the NCAA is a billion-dollar annual industry. The idea that players should just be grateful for what they get is in line with the contention that workers who work in multinational corporation sweatshops should be grateful to earn pennies for their labor. Free market proponents argue that these workers in the global south are better off because they've been given the opportunity to make those pennies. But that doesn't change the reality of exploitation. That's what's going on in the NCAA. The NCAA is a cash cow, a Scrooge McDuck type gold mine, and it is very happy with the system working the exact way it was designed to work. Recently, Atan Thomas spoke to Oscar Robertson, one of the all-time great NBA players, an amazing person. And he recalls when he challenged the NBA in court to win free agency at a time when teams basically owned players. He discussed the sacrifice of Major League Baseball's Kurt Flood, who after being informed that he was to be traded to Philadelphia, famously told Commissioner of Baseball Bowie Kuhn, I do not regard myself as a piece of property to be bought or sold. He requested the right to be a free agent and took his case all the way to the Supreme Court. Flood lost his case and never reaped the rewards for his bravery. But eventually the court ruled that players should have the right to be a free agent and that free agency for players should be attained through collective bargaining, which is the system we have today. Now history is repeating itself. 
Whenever the topic of paying college athletes is brought up today, you hear the same arguments, the forecasts of the death of college sports. Yet the only thing that will destroy intercollegiate athletics is continuation of the current system, a system without a moral center that careens from one scandal to the next and is rooted in rank exploitation. This system will either be wrecked by its current minders or remade by the players themselves. The NCAA is not going to change anything if it's not compelled to do so. Just as the NBA and Major League Baseball weren't going to change anything back in the day without the push of people like Oscar Robertson and Kurt Flood. The players have the power to force a change, but only if they refuse to be pawns in someone else's game. In the name of Kurt Flood, Oscar Robertson, the USA women's hockey team, and everyone who has stood or is standing for economic justice in the world of sports, the players in this year's Final Four should not take the court until grievances are heard. One of my co-producers here, Daniel Baker, just heard me talk, and he's got something to say. Daniel Baker, agree, disagree, question, argument, the floor is yours. I don't think there's any doubt, at least on this show, that inevitably college athletes are going to get paid. The big question that I have is what does that look like? Is it more of a professional setting that is akin to a minor league system, or is this something where you are an athlete, you're a student athlete, and you just happen to major in athletics as one does communications or the arts or engineering? You know, that's a great question, and it's really tempting for me to say that's above my pay grade. People need to sit down and figure it out, and I do actually stand by that point. There has to be a meeting of the minds that includes players, because, you know, when the Northwestern players tried to organize a union, what precipitated that was the, when the NCAA actually held a roundtable about the future of college athletics, and there was not one college athlete at the roundtable. That's what spurred them to say, geez, we got to organize because they're not going to give us a seat at the table. So on one level, I really do think that that needs to be collectively bargained. That needs to be figured out by the people who are most directly affected. I will say that some things feel obvious to me, like making scholarships guaranteed for all four years. That's to me an obvious point, like making sure players have quality health care. That's to me a basic point, especially when it comes to football, and have it last for a certain number of years after they leave the college system. And then, But then lastly, though, the players got to be able to get a piece of this pie. And it's absurd that they do not especially uh, when you look at some of the contracts that are at play right now that are in the B, billions of dollars. I mean, I was thinking about Mike Krzyzewski, who I found out that during the Fab Five era in the early 90s, when college basketball really was blowing up and had incredible ratings, Krzyzewski made $210,000 a year. It's actually really hard to find out coaching salaries from decades ago, but I found that out about Krzyzewski. He made two hundred and ten grand a year. Today he makes $7.5 million. So obviously the economics of this has changed. The situation for players is to change as well. On a scale, 1 to 10, what are the chances, whether it's this year or within the next, I'll say, three years, that we see a player strike in the Final Four? You know, I'm tempted to give the Mike Tannier answer from when we were interviewing him before when he said, all bets are off now. We're in a new political era. Who the hell knows? I think I'm going to stick with that as an answer. Uh, I really think all bets are off right now. I think college athletes have never been more conscious. And I never would have predicted that like the Missouri football team would have gone on a Black Lives Matter strike before that happened. I never would have predicted uh, the Northwestern players would try to organize a union. I mean, there's so much 
unexpected that I think we have to look forward to when it comes to college sports. I just have no idea what it's going to be. Oh, thanks. Ah, off. And now a quick word about the Nation Magazine's other podcast, Start Making Sense, with the host, John Wiener. It's one of my favorite podcasts, and this week he has an amazing guest. It's Jane Meyer. You might know Jane Meyer. She wrote the brilliant expose of Dick Cheney in The New Yorker some years back. Her newest piece in The New Yorker is called Trump's Reclusive Billionaire Backer, Robert Mercer. If you don't know who Robert Mercer is, he makes the Koch brothers look like uh, Abbott and Costello. I mean, this is a scary person with a serious agenda. People who think the civil rights movement was terrible and the Civil Rights Act was awful legislation. And they are the bankrollers of the Trump agenda. People need to know more about who the Mercers are. And Jane Mayer breaks it down. We also have Rick Perlstein on this show, who's the author of the book Nixon Land, one of the best contemporary books about politics you could ever read. And he is going to talk to John Wiener about why Trump is not like Nixon. And now the Just Stand Up Award for this week. Just Stand Up! It connects directly to what we just did in Choice Words, the idea of there being a Final Four strike. There is one team that we got to be looking at and we should be all be rooting for if you're listening to this before the Final Four begins, and that is Wisconsin. They are a collection of players who have spoken out against the NCAA, and on the front lines has been their star player, six foot eight inch power forward from Toledo, Ohio, Nigel Hayes. Nigel Hayes, if you didn't know, showed up for an interview with ESPN's College Game Day before a Wisconsin football game holding a handwritten sign that said, Broke College Athlete, Anything Helps. He's also one of three named athletes in a class action lawsuit against the NCAA, and he's been outspoken on broader topics of racial injustice and police brutality. So Nigel Hayes, the Wisconsin team, I don't know if you're going to be eliminated by the time this podcast makes it to the listening ears of everybody, but you've already been called the best number eight seed in the history of the NCAA tournament. It was absurd that you were ranked so low. It was amazing when you beat Villanova on the Nigel Hayes, Michael Jordan flip move on the baseline. Unbelievable. Let's hope you can take that all the way to the final four and then show the NCAA just how much power so-called amateur athletes really have. And now the Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down, as if I even need to say this, goes to Donald Trump bragging about Colin Kaepernick being unable to find work. I'm laying it on thick this week. I know we've already talked about this. But this made me so angry, the idea of the president of the frickin' United States using his bully pulpit to brag about the fact that someone can't find work. And I think David Roth, who's one of my favorite writers, he's a sports writer for Vice, he really said it best, so I'm just going to quote him. He wrote, If Kaepernick is unemployable in the NFL, it's because he represents the broader contemporary social movement for social justice, not because he is an unreliable pocket passer or whatever. It's because people like the ones Trump is pandering to understand him as a symbol of the things they hate, end quote. You know, you're used to a president of the United States, even if they're completely full of crap, 
trying to be a symbol of a bridge. You know, like trying to bring people together. Even if they're being completely disingenuous, you're used to that. And instead in Donald Trump, we have, hey, look at the guy with the afro who's upset about racism. That guy, the black guy, he's the guy you should be mad at. Not me because I want to end Meals on Wheels. Not me because I want to take health care away from 26 million people. That guy over there with the afro. It's disgusting. And Donald Trump, sit your ass down. Not everybody is scared of you. Maybe NFL owners are, but millions of people, as you are finding out, are not. And now it's time for the part on the show where we do Kaepernick Watch. What is happening in the world of Colin Kaepernick? Lord knows we've already discussed it at length on this show, but I got to add the part of Colin Kaepernick choosing this week to give $50,000 to Meals on Wheels. Now, if you're familiar with Colin Kaepernick, you know that he's given hundreds of thousands of dollars to charities all around the country that deal with issues of social justice. They just raised several million dollars to go to famine-stricken Somalia. But the 50G to Meals on Wheels is so perfect because it's also a delicious troll of Donald Trump in whose budget he absolutely eliminates Meals on Wheels, eliminates food to shut-ins and seniors. And so the fact that Kaepernick gave 50G to Meals on Wheels, I mean, it's just too delicious for words. And it led to this piece of writing that I want to share with you all. It's a writer named Evan Grossman, who writes for the New York Daily News. And I really like the way Evan Grossman put this. He said, while President Donald Trump, among others, continues to rip Kaepernick for kneeling during the Star Spangled Banner and recently presented a federal budget that aims to defund programs like Meals on Wheels, Kaepernick has worked to improve the lives of veterans, poor people, minorities, women, and immigrants. It makes you wonder exactly who is really working to make America great and who is full of it. Amen. Evan Grossman. Want to raise the frequency on that turn of phrase. So, Colin Kaepernick, keep doing what you do. You got our support here on Edge of Sports. Also, part of Kaepernick Watch this week, you got to include the Instagram post by Spike Lee, the great film director, just turned 60. This is what Spike Lee wrote on Instagram, had a picture of himself with Colin Kaepernick, and then he wrote the following. How is it that there are 32 NFL teams and Cap is still a free agent? WTF, smells mad fishy to me, stinks to the high heavens. The New York JETS need a quarterback. Who is the JTS quarterback? Is my man Joe Willie Namath coming back? Crazy times we live in. The question remains what owner and GM is going to step up and sign Colin so their team has a better chance to win. What crime has Colin committed? Look at the QBs of all 32 teams. This is some straight-up shenanigans, subterfuge, skullduggery, and BS. You dig? Show enough by any means necessary, and that's the no-fun-league-truth Ruth. That's what Spike Lee said. First of all, I just, I'm a Jets fan, and I want to just say first and foremost that I, I love that Spike Lee said, my man Joe Willie Namath. That just to me is awesome. Second of all, yeah, there is something truly shameful about the fact that uh, that the New York Jets, you know, whose owner, Woody Johnson, as we spoke about before, hasn't even given Colin Kaepernick a phone call, given how much that team needs a decent QB, and the fact that I do think Colin Kaepernick has a shot to return to grace. And to reference the Mike Tannier discussion, I did think of a comparison for Colin Kaepernick. Jim Plunkett, 
somebody who is an NFL Rookie of the Year with the New England Patriots of all teams, almost got bounced out of the league, and then came back to win two Super Bowls and a Super Bowl MVP, leading the Oakland slash LA Raiders. So it can happen. You start your career hot, you lose it, you come back. That's Colin Kaepernick to me. And yo, but much love to Colin Kaepernick, not just for his football ability, but for standing strong and raising money and doing all of these things, even in the context of being at the eye of a presidential bully storm. Hey, thanks to everybody this week on the show. Thank you to the legend, Mike Ruzioni. Thank you to Mike Tannier. Thank you to the good people at The Nation Magazine. Thank you to my co-producers, David Tigabu and Daniel Baker. And yo, to everybody out there, you can always contact us at Edge of Sports on Twitter, at Edge of Sports, or call the Edge of Sports hotline, 401-426-3343. That's 401 426 Edge. We always like playing the best calls on the program itself. Please remember as well to subscribe to the show on iTunes if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast delivery device of choice. Please leave a review. It makes a huge difference. Please rate the show. It makes a huge difference. Thank you so much for listening. We love all our listeners. We are out of here. Stay frosty, people. Peace. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.